Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 137 with my friend, Josh Jostock. Josh was my professor in my intro to counseling um, class in grad school and my my first class, my first professor of grad school, and uh, he's a therapist. So when he volunteered to sit down with me, I was kind of taken aback by that. If you know anything about therapists, a lot of them uh, keep to themselves as far as putting personal information out into the world. So I was very excited to sit down with him. I <laughs> The amount of stuff that we had in common was, was alarming. I've been doing this a lot lately with people. Um, this entire month of episodes, I feel like, is going to end up being me and someone else having some random common occurrences in our lives. Uh, but it just goes to show the thread that weaves us all together. I don't know where I was going with that. But I'm not going to hold you any longer because this is such a fun and great and uh, thought-provoking, healing, pick an adjective. It probably fits. It's a great conversation. This is, uh, without further ado, my friend, Josh. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? These mine? Yeah. These my headphones. We're going to go all NPR style. All right. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm open book, whatever. I've listened to a few of the episodes. I know you ask about upbringing or, or I try whatever. I to start A to Z and I end up yeah. somewhere else instead. And I'm here to be Can open. Can you point this slightly towards, towards you? Towards me. Yep. Um, yeah, feel free to manhandle it as much as you want. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. So I, I fire away and I will answer as best I can. Well, then all right, I'll dive in. Let's uh, do it. So if you have listened to a couple, I start with how I know people. This is definitely unique. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I know you because you were my first professor in graduate school. Uh, and uh, you're also a therapist. And uh, that's how I met you. And thankfully, we stayed in contact after that semester. Yeah. And it sounds like you're going to teach more, which is good. Yeah. I'm trying to do uh, one course one course at a time. But I... Yeah, really enjoy doing that. Get you to do that for this uh, fall too, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's how I know you. And I know, uh, I mean, I know a handful of things about you. I, like you're married, you have a, a kid, birthday tomorrow, right? Yes, uh, yes. That's exciting. Um, and not yours, your kids, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, and then I know just, I feel like I know quippets about your personality. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I I am who I am. Hopefully, uh, as much as possible. So you saw me in class, and that's pretty yeah. much who I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's find out how I got there. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, first, the the basics. I mean, did you grow up here, in Michigan? Born, raised situation. Yep, yep. I was born and raised, and I grew up. Uh, yeah, Metro Detroit. Um, was lucky enough never have to move around. I never had to be the new kid. So really, um, rooted and stable childhood. Yeah, nice. in this area. Siblings? Yeah, I have two older brothers, and oh. um, I usually don't say this, but because we're going to be talking about mental health, and it, it ties into my family story. My parents had a child before me that passed, okay. and um, so so technically there's four, but three Did now. Be, when you say before you, like between your two older brothers and you? Yeah, so she was oh, the okay. third, and um, I was and the fourth. it was fourth. the only daughter. It was the only daughter. And my parents only wanted three, and um, so... 
she's always been, you know, the, the family story. She's the guardian angel. And Can I ask, yeah. I don't I want to be insensitive, but no. like, was that a, at birth? Was that later? Like, yeah, she, she uh, was born alive and with a lot of health issues. And I think she lived just under a month. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, it's not something, this is a, something that not many people know. Um, but because of the context today, I feel like it's important just to, um, share that family story because it does play a part in I think how my mom is, how my dad is, how the whole family is, because that's a pretty significant and traumatic thing. Well, and I imagine you coming along after that, there's some form of a shadow you're living in of this person that like you don't even know existed. (laughs) Well, yeah, a, a, I was called like this miracle baby. And then I think too, I would probably describe my mom and my childhood as overprotective. And I felt angst about that growing up. And now that I'm older, I mean, had I lost a child, uh-huh. yeah, I don't think I'd let a child out of my sight yeah. again, right? Stay at ground so, level, in yeah. cushioned, <laughs> right. yeah. Right, <laughs> right. So I think I think it's, you know, informed her life in a great degree. What's your relation, or well, what's the age difference between you and your brothers? So my brothers are quite a bit older. My oldest brother is eight years older, and oh, then okay. the next one's six years older. Okay. And we're all very close. Um, they were you know, they're both, uh, went off to college when I was a kid and really formed those like close relationships when they were exiting college and I was in my high school years. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're much older. So you, I mean, they're, they're already starting high school when you're starting to have memories and stuff almost. <laughs> yeah. My, my oldest brother went away to school, I think when I was in, uh, second or third grade. Okay. Yeah. So he, and then the next one was fourth or fifth. Yeah. And then I was an only child for about six or seven years. So you're, sl- yeah, you're sliding into like <laughs> developmental middle school years yeah. and you're got the house to yourself. That's right. And you're being called a miracle baby. What <laughs> a is miracle the- baby? Well, cause when you first said older brothers, I was like, all right, I know the impact my older brother had on me. So you had two older brothers. I'm like, that could go very badly. But that age difference, I imagine just it- led to a pretty good experience? Or? You, you know, what's funny, Justin, is like, because I'm in the part of my life now, I'm about to be 35, and a lot of my, almost all my friends have small children. And, you know, it's like, do you have them really close together? Do you have them really far apart? And my wife and I are um, kind of doing this far apart plan, and a lot of my friends have done the really close together because they want them to have a friend or, or whatever, and I get that. And, you know me, I'm a big believer in two paths can go to a great outcome, um, and we can be happy for that. But, uh you know, I, I feel like I'm extremely close with my brothers now. And I know a lot of people with a sibling that's 18 months away from them and yeah. <laughs> they hardly talk or, or there's not that closeness. So I, I feel so lucky just to have great communication with both of my brothers and both, both my brothers have humility and, um, they're just great men. And I learned a lot from them growing up, looked forward to having them come home during their colleges and was excited and, um, they, they have played a big part in, I think, how I turned out. I feel lucky that I got to observe and watch. We had an extra so, yeah. couple role models in the house when they would return, I imagine. A- yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Cause, well, because that's, I think, somewhat universal depending on, like, different periods of time. Um, and I think this is true with everyone I've talked to, the 10 older brothers. At some point, you, like, look up to them. You like the same music they like. You, like, you want to be them. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, if I'm doing the math correctly... I imagine you had some of that and then they like went away to college. So you didn't have to have that fallout afterwards. (laughs) And so you're like, Oh, so I just have these role models that occasionally come back. 
Did you look at parents as role models too when you're younger? Absolutely. And yeah, um, it's, it's funny. Both my brothers are dentists and my father's a dentist. Oh, yes, um, I remember this. My brothers are very, very different from each other though. My oldest brother's very type A, studious, organized. And my other brother is much more, um, how, how would I describe him? He's much different than that. And he's not as much as a planner and lives one day at a time. And I th- you know, speaking of observing, I think I have found a blend of that, and I feel lucky to have watched them develop their own way. But um, they get along yeah. good. They do. Okay. They do. They they work together now, and um, I think the thing I love most about my brothers is that anytime there has been conflict, it's always been able to be resolved because there's humility in my favorite trait of human beings: humility. Um, so yeah, we all at this point we're all you know they're in their forties. I'm in my thirties, and yeah. it's going good. I want I want to go off on a tangent. Sure. Cause, <laughs> well, because we talked about the age a couple times. Yeah. And I don't think I mean I'm, I could be very wrong. <laughs> I will be on OU's website looking at peer-reviewed journal articles <laughs> after this, but um, I wonder how much the age difference impacts things as opposed to just the environment and. and you know, social circles and that sort of thing. Cause I liked, I would love to generalize that and be like, Oh yeah, people closer together. They like right, people further apart. Um, but I think I know people in all of those situations in varying age differences. Um, and then there's the thing I've talked about on here a billion times where people try to like push their view of family onto you. So if you have a crappy relationship with your sibling and they have a good one, they're like, no, you got to get over that siblings. Blood's mm-hmm. blood. And you're like, well, yeah. hold on. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm just curious. I don't know if you know anything more than I do on that subject, but. Yeah. I mean, I will say, if my oldest brother, I feel like, was any older, I've thought this a lot, I don't know if we'd have that closeness. Like, I feel like eight has just been enough. But no, I don't I don't know the studies on that. I do know that my, my family does follow, like, um, the trait of, you know, the oldest is high accomplished, type A, organized. Yeah. Um, middle child, my brother John, it was much more didn't want to follow rule, curfew, rebelling, and then I you was sort of a buffer. Yeah, <laughs> I was a buffer, um, a little bit more empathic and um, into feelings and things like that. So we definitely follow that pattern. As far as age, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there's any. There's got to be studies on that, but I yeah. just don't know them. Well, I'm just wondering, like, um, and I, the implication so far is your parents are still together. Yes. So I wonder if like what if a divorce was thrown in there? Like what would that do to your guys' relationship? Like yeah. stuff like that. Um, or if, you know, if ages has as much strength as we kind of gave credit to when we initially started this, but yeah. I'm just, yeah, loud. I'm um, going to go on a tangent too. Like I oh, think nice. some of that stuff is so right. Like the predictors are so hard. I was just doing some training on personality disorders and then, you know, which, which, um, we could spend an hour talking about personality disorders, but you know, it's like, well, where, where do people with personality disorders come from? Because the, you know, the assumption, which is wrong, is that they come from, um, broken households or they come from toxic or abusive families or whatever. And as we've studied this, we've seen no childhood trauma, things like that have no real predictor on if a, a person there is a genetic component to it. Um, and you are a lot more likely, but uh, you know, we've, we've looked at people with antisocial, uh, antisocial personality disorder that have come from fantastic loving, you know, we look at that household and say there's everything there. They've prized the child, they've supported the child. 
and and this kid has turned out this certain way and then we've looked at you know kids that come from really um you know a, a broken family or divorced family or, or whatever the term is best there that have turned out to be fantastic wonderful human beings you know it's just so hard to predict yeah some of that stuff well there's so much going into it yeah this yeah. <laughs> and i think uh in this field as well as like any other diagnosing field you want an answer you want you want you want a, a set of criteria that you can be yeah. like this 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 and this you're reading my mind we're aren't we obsessed with knowing like we really really oh, yeah. want to know and you know the knowledge paradox the more we come to more to know the more we realize we don't know anything oh yeah. i mean further down the rabbit hole this is uh <laughs> that's my whole take on like religion yeah. is i think people gravitate towards a religion because there's a lot of questions that we simply cannot have the answer to. And it's a lot more comfortable to just have an answer. Yeah. And that's what teach their own. If that's what they, and uh, I think what, where it gets messy is where people are like, no, my answer, you have to believe my answer too. And you're like, well, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> the, the unknown scares us to death and um, death. Unknown. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, nice catch. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I, Speaking of counseling and being a therapist, I ask just about every client what their relationship is with the unknown. Yeah. We're, we're always wanting to know because once we know some sort of truth, our truth or whatever, then we can leverage every decision we make off that truth, right? It's a lot easier. And plus you feel a part of a community. You feel like you have backing and it's yeah. just more stable ground to stand on. And and my thought is, is that... Um, once we come to grips with we don't know a lot and we don't have a lot of control, while that is really scary at first, I have found a lot of freedom in my life um, just grasping with, you know what, I don't know that much and a lot of things can be true at once and that's okay. Yeah, and that also I feel like can lead to humility. Yeah, just, yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's so important to say I don't know. It depends, right? Like, yeah. it, it, is is skiing a fun sport? Well, it depends. Um, <laughs> should I wear a mask during COVID? Well, it, it, it everything everything depends. Everything is a sometimes. A client recently asked me. They were out of nowhere. We were talking, and they said, "Are you happy?" And I said, "Like in my personal life." And they said, "Yeah, I want to know. You know, I'm I'm curious." And um, <laughs> yeah, it, it did catch me off guard. And I said, you know, would it be important to you if I answered that? Yeah, right. And how come? <laughs> and then they kind of kept pushing a little bit more. And I said, sometimes I'm happy. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'm. But we're so trained to be dichotomous and yes or no. Yeah. And um, everyone says, well, the country's more divided or just people. And it's because we're told that it's. This or it, that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is a fallacy, right? It's a rhetorical fallacy, either or. So, yeah. I've already gone off the rails, haven't that's, I? That's all right. That's, that's what it's all about. Um, so without, I mean, you, you talk about your childhood as like, it was good, it was great. Um, not, not a lot of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wanted to say your parents, because you said you look at them as role models as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, three kids. Yep. What did they do for work when you're growing up? my parents yeah my um my my dad was a dentist and then my oh, mom right. um was in my childhood was a homemaker okay and was fantastic at that and i had a very stable loving childhood um i have met so many people that have been um 
abused or had to grow up with yeah, j- just significant childhood trauma. And I think for a while, especially in my early days of therapy, I almost had some survivor's guilt from that, you know? And it was just like, like I didn't experience enough. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like my goodness, or am I qualified yeah. to guide people here? Um, call your mom. Why didn't you hit me when I was younger? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. And um, is what I've learned is that I am, or not learned, but have um, come to really, just appreciate about my parents is I am so glad that I wasn't abused and I was and, and I think because of that I have become a person um, that I'm really that I'm really proud of. You can still be proud of yourself if you grew up in a tumultuous situation, but I I think I think is what I'm trying to say is that it shows that I was raised in a really loving yeah. household just by my way of being, and I, I love that. And for anyone that's listening to this. Um, I could see how even hearing something like that would be like some sort of thing could come up. And um, I appreciate you articulating on it because one thing that I uh, refuse to accept as an answer from anybody (laughs) is like, oh, I'm normal childhood. Because I'm like, well, hold on. (laughs) Because that's, uh, I also am catching myself saying, well, hold on a lot. Um, You want me to go into the nitty gritty of it really quick? No, well, I'm just, uh, no, I mean, I'm. Here's, here's some interesting parts I think about my childhood is one um, um, intimacy in my family was minimal. You know, we didn't throw around. I love you a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that there wasn't much hugging. I remember Christmas when I was 19 years old, I'd written a card to both of my brothers and I was a personal note. And I put at the end of it, like, I want you to know that I love you. And that was the first time, you know, my brothers now at this point are 26, seven, and 25 ish. And it was like the first time that I had sincerely said that to my, and you're already an adult at that point. I'm 19. And I remember being nervous while they were reading their Christmas cards. What does the, so let me ask you a question then with three boys, your dad, um, what is masculinity? What role does that play in that household? Yeah. And, and you know, like you, you had brought up religion earlier, I think, or said something about it. And, um, I think our religion was, well, I think our religion was kind of sports and with sports comes hyper-masculinity and I wouldn't say it was overboard, but it was definitely don't let them see you cry, wipe the tears. Um, There's no crying in baseball. That's right. Just rewatch that (laughs) great Tom Hanks movie. Um, So yeah. And I think even down to like the intimate language or the lack thereof or the lack of hugging. My mom was very nurturing like that. Yeah. Um, but she's trying to fill the role of that person for four people. <laughs> right, right. That's a lot of love to give. Yeah. Right? And she did really good at that. But yeah, I think the three-boy household, and, and I think where my father comes from too and the household he came from, um, I think my brothers and I have bucked some family trends and we do say I love you often. And every time we see each other, we give a hug. hug hugging wasn't a part of our system. and. Yeah. I didn't know that that – I remember watching some college friends when I was in college and just after they would hug each other every time. You know, and it, it sort of blew my mind and I've had to uh, evaluate and um, develop my relationship with like physical touch. I, I know that sounds so strange, but even getting rubbed on the back by my wife when we were first dating, you know, and she's my girlfriend, it was like I kind of squirmed because I didn't have that relationship yeah. or there was, a, there was something lacking there. Um, so yeah. So if anyone's out there that squirms when their wife rubs their back, their partner rubs their back and they wonder why it's probably tied to lack yeah, of that that's, somewhere. That's very interesting. Cause I, uh, 
I relate to some of that for sure. And I, I think, I mean, I got, I have five years on you. Um, but I remember high school, college, like I said, college, college, college just means I wasn't in school. I was probably smoking weed and just fucking around. Um, but early twenties. Um, and there's, there is like this kind of dialogue you have to go through. Like, Oh, do I, do I hug this guy? And there like, there's always the guy that like hugs everybody. And you're just like, this is weird. What is he doing? <laughs> and I, I feel like I try to get past that now. Like, I don't think about it too much. I purposefully hug my father-in-law cause he's always trying to shake my hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just bring it in, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to break it. I'm going to break this. Yeah. Open. Uh, but it, it is a funny thing with, with men and that there's like, I know underground homophobia with that and, and mm-hmm. a bunch of other stuff, but the underlying theme of affection and intimacy plays such a heavy role on like all of your future relationships. Yeah. And we've studied yeah. how physical uh, touch uh, or lack thereof can manifest in day-to-day life and mental health. And we, at this point, basically know how, very important physical touches yeah. for human beings. Um, and I know you're really passionate about working with men and can I yeah. put a kibosh on that? Oh, so, well, no, here's, here's, <laughs> I've, I've, we're recording, so I might as well get this out here yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so I have done a lot of like research work and I, it is a very curious topic. Um, because, uh, just going back to like the why thing, I like to, yeah. I like to know why. And so yeah. if I can find out, some reasons or some ways people tick and I'm sure there's an underlying process. If we traced it all back, it's like, Oh, my brother or my dad or some shit. Right. That's fine. Right. But it's, um, because of that research and because like I've won an award for it and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, the assumption is that like, Oh, this is the area you're going into. And I know. <laughs> yeah. You mean um, with the working with men? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. that's actually, one of the reasons I started doing research on it was because of my personal discomfort around men. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't have like that male role model. I didn't have any strong male figures like growing up, um, except for my grandpa, but he mm-hmm. died when I was 15 anyway. <laughs> but so it's, it's something I was curious about and I've even looked like for male therapists so I could have that intimate therapeutic relationship yeah. with another man. Yeah. Um, but it's not something I would, choose to specialize in in any way i'm so um, happy yeah i'm so happy you put the kibosh on that well it's because uh, you're not the first person that is coming <laughs> in and, and people will start sending me stuff and be like well hold on hold on yeah, like yeah. i'm interested in a lot of different like <laughs> look around. you're sitting that. in my basement you're getting a glimpse behind the curtain like look around you can find random shit from just about 50 different things <laughs> There's but a it's lot uh, down here yeah yeah <laughs> so that was like something that sparked my interest and ADHD, I hyperfixated on that and I learned a bunch of stuff and um, I'm happy I did, but yeah. it's definitely not something I want to like specialize in. But it is still fascinating with, to me and I do think there is a huge opportunity to have conversations like this and yeah. talk about men and masculinity and make sure that like we're pushing society in the direction of change and not back towards like our World War II parents and yeah. grandparents because uh, that that didn't work. Right. 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 <laughs> and we see that with uh, all the, the, anything that happens, violence and people getting killed over like card games. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It, it, isn't it? <laughs> you know, like, like I think, no, 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 I appreciate it. 
you know, when I went into grad school for accounting, which you're in that in that part of your journey now, it's like, okay, I'm going and, and this is a subject I feel really passionate about. And naturally, um, for me, it was like, well, I'm going to niche in this, in this thing yeah. or that thing. And I think one of the fun things of grad school is it showed me just um, how much work there is to be done. You know, and it, and it's with children, men, women, LGBTQ. I, it just um, there's so many rabbit holes and paths. Yeah. You, and, and at the end of it all, don't we all just want to be loved and held and um, accepted and feel like feel like someone has us for who we are? Oh, you'd have to get people to admit that first. Yeah, <laughs> true, <laughs> true. See, we could solve everything if everybody that says, "Oh, I think therapy's great," it's not for me, but it's great. <laughs> If we get all of those people to go to therapy, world, world problems all solved. Um, We'd be good. <laughs> I digress. Back to you, Josh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So outside of – home life is great. Um, outside of that, socially, academically, once you're starting to hit those preteen years and, and teenage years, what's that look like? I, I was a rule follower. I was very compliant, hence I knew how to play the game of school really well. And I, I never – I always felt – I wouldn't have described it like this back then, but looking back, I kind of felt like an imposter in the academic, like high school uh, world, but I was really good at following directions. I was really good at showing up. I was really good at churning in assignments. So I was the kid that turned everything in, took a C or a D on a test and turned out with a B. And um, so, you know, that, that went fine. Um, And what about socially? Yeah. I was just about to say, I think I've always had, a knack for connecting with others. Um, w- one thing, this this is something that took me a long time to just say without feeling like braggadocious or whatever. But I, I feel like one of my gifts is that I can connect with just about anybody. And in high school, um, I felt like I was a part of a lot of different groups of people. At the same time, I, I don't think I had really super close relationship outside of the school hours. But during school, you know, I could hang out with um, Ted, who had hair over uh, one of his eyes, and I think he described himself as emo. I, that was the word then. Um, and, you know, I played sports, I sang in the choir, and um, I just had this knack for being able to be really flexible. And if we wanted to go deeper, I think truly that's when I started to develop people-pleasing tendencies. So that's why I was I learned that skill, which is a great skill, and we can go into this more later, but that's also a prison <laughs> to end up feeling really, really alone in other parts of your life. But um, but yeah, I mean, socially, I felt well-adjusted. I could fit in with anybody. I could get along with anybody. I was very non-confrontational, um, meaning I was very passive. So it's, you know, where do you want to go? Well, let's go where you want to go. You know, it doesn't matter to me. Um, and yeah, I, I was happy when high school was over because by the end it did feel a little bit like I was expending a lot of energy. Yeah. Just like, well, let, I'm going to, I have a bunch yeah. of projection questions. Yeah. Cause I, I relate to that a lot. Um, yeah. I don't even know if you can say this now, uh, cancel culture, but like, uh, I was a tribe mingler, like a my, what? A tribe mingler. A tribe mingler. Yeah. Gotcha. Like, gotcha. I, uh, I was in a punk band. I go to the parties with like the jocks and the cheerleaders. Like <laughs> I, I was all over the spectrum. Uh, and, that's like who I was and anywhere I could entertain, right. Get a, get a laugh or, or whatever that looked like. Um, for me <laughs> that played, there's, I think definitely like some people pleasing stuff. Mm-hmm. I look at it more as, um, essentially like lowering my own self value, like self-worth yeah. putting someone else's ahead of mine, which, you know, over time diminishes your own. 
and then also validation. Yeah. Uh, and for, again, for me, that was, I wasn't getting it anywhere else. So I had to get it wherever I could. And that was like my survival skill yeah. in, in my adolescence. How much of that do you relate to? And because the, and the main reason I, I asked that and that tipped me off is when you said like outside of school, you didn't really, cause yeah, the, yeah. it's all surface, right? Like it's all, you're there with those people on that level, but like maybe you're not getting all these phone calls afterwards. Like, right. So what is, how does that play out? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm so glad like you cut me off and you're so good at hosting this um, because I know I can be very <laughs> verbose and go way down rabbit holes, but you know, looking back, pe- people pleasing is a coping mechanism for people. Yeah. And I was coping with something that I probably didn't realize needed coping back then. But, um, I think like so many teenagers, I really wanted acceptance and I really wanted to felt, feel like I belonged. And that, again, that was my way to be validated. And, and I think is what happened is because when we're passive all the time, we're never really saying how we feel. Yeah. And um, that can be a nice skill to be passive and a nice communication technique sometimes. <laughs> you know, like it depends, right? Should I be passive yeah, or not? Long-term effects. Yeah. And, and, and is, what I've, is what I've learned in my life is that people-pleasing is the way I cope with almost every problem okay. for me. And it has – people-pleasing has really sinister um, outcomes in my mind. And the, the, the side effects of people-pleasing are – they take a long time to develop. You know, like, like a lot of coping mechanisms do, but there's not like an immediate, um, bad side effect to it. But it, yeah, I didn't have these close relationships outside of school because I have never, I never felt like, and I, to this day, Justin, I, there's a large part of that feels as though people don't actually know who I am. You know, and I used to be, can I go down like a really existential oh, rabbit yeah. hole right this now? Is, yeah. Yeah. Also we, just side <laughs> note, do you know your Enneagram number? I, I don't, I don't, oh, I, I've done it, but I don't. I um, four. <laughs> <laughs> pull up the Google machine after. Yeah. You know, I used to be really scared to die. De- death from a young age. Like, like. Can, I, what do you mean by like, yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Like scared to die? Like when you're out and about or just like you're laying in bed and you're like, I might die tomorrow. The latter. Okay. The latter. And, um, it was more, you know, is it, is this going to be all gone? And I have, I still have memories of, you know, watching a movie with friends, um, and and like a wave of panic would rush over me thinking this is going to end sometime. Like death anxiety. Yeah. And death. Uh, I think some of my family members have a really interesting relationship with death, but, um, and we never talked about it. And as a society, we don't, at this point, I'm not very scared to die. I am scared of dying without saying how I feel. I, I am I am terrified that I'll die and I will have not taken the risks to have people know me. How long has that feel or that thought been like a conscious thought? The the latter one. Yeah. I would say two or I would say the last two to four. Years a lot changed when I had a child. Yeah, that I changed imagine. my paradigm on a lot of things. I'm just curious, like, so I, I've done this, mm-hmm. uh, and we're, we're talking about you, I promise. But yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just think about like I would think about dying in a way in that way of like, are people going to know everything, mm-hmm. right? And so once in a while, I would, uh, if I was going to 
especially during my my worst days if i was gonna like meet up with someone from craigslist i would leave like a letter or something that like not only explains like where i went who i was with but also like and tell chad to do this until like um and make sure like people knew yeah uh, and i wonder if if you ever did those those just in case letters or hid them around the house or anything yeah I, not not so much okay in that, in that form i i, <laughs> no, that I was a very specific question. i was battling some health issues in 2021 though and we had uh, my little guy Josh had just been born and um, I remember going to a pretty scary doctor appointment and thinking um, I should write so I pulled out a journal and kind of wrote a letter to him about how I was feeling and he's like three months old at this yeah. point um, but but other than that not too much but as, as what I will tell you is that that thought and people pleasing has led me to moments in my life where I have sat on the side of my bed and wondered to myself I, I put my best foot forward for everybody and I give and give and give. And who is doing this for me? Who, who is setting their feelings aside for me? And, and I feel so immensely lucky to have a couple very close friends yeah. and a very loving and kind wife that um, when I really stop and think that I do have people that put their own stuff aside for me sometimes. But um my people pleasing that started from a young age has made me feel very alone at times. And, uh, does it manifest as you like feeling like a burden to other people? If you were to like share yourself or give your opinions or, you know, anything like that, that might be viewed as a burden at times, at times. Yeah. Um, I think I've just learned that if I keep the conversation on somebody else, yeah. they you will feel good about them. About yeah, and I don't have to talk about me. And I and I want people to feel good. Like I get satisfaction from people feeling good and yeah. giving that to people. And I and I love that a part of me is a people pleaser. You know, like I love that I give in the way that I give. And at the same time, I can't do that all the time anymore. Well, I wonder. And so many of these questions are coming from because I relate to this a yeah. lot. Yeah. Um, all my friendships were very surface because I was like, I'm going to crack a joke. I'm going to like, mm -hmm. I, I didn't vulnerability was, there was a narrative I had from previous relationships. I was like, Oh, if I am vulnerable, that's going to make them go away. So I just yeah. got to keep it light joke. Ha ha ha. That becomes the expectation too. Yeah. Right. So when you're not jokey and, and, and I apologize for cutting you off, oh, but when you're not jokey, then, then you're sitting at a party or whatever, and, and then someone comes and says, you okay? Hey, why don't you have have a drink? You know, And it's like, geez, if I shut off at all, yeah. um, people have gotten so used to me. That's why it's, it's this prison. It's yeah. a very hard prison to escape. And you find out who the real ones are. Does it? So this is where I was eventually getting to is, for me, I have had to learn to manage the resentment that I'll create. Mm -hmm. Um where I'll, you know, it's, oh, I, I'll see, I, so I have groups of friends, right, where it's like the four of us, and I can see those three are much closer than I am with any of them. Yeah. And part of me is like, oh, I'm the lowest, or I'm like the common denominator in that equation, so there's something I'm doing wrong. But then the other part of me is like, fuck those guys. <laughs> uh, and I did that when I started the show. Like, I would have these really amazing conversations with people, and they are definitely mostly one-sided, yeah. Uh, as is the design of the of the podcast. But then I'd be like, th that would be the last time I talked to him for another however many years. And yeah. there'd be a little voice that's like, "Why aren't they? Why I thought I thought we were gonna hang out or something like." Right. Um, and then you start telling like the narrative, like, "Oh, who's who's 
turns it to call who and uh i had to like really wrestle with those resentment feelings because i had them forever but like the last couple of years i'm just like that's not real like mm-hmm. and i've just started to be honest with people like hey this is what i want out of a relationship like a friendship and uh that is a weird uncomfortable conversation to get used to having i'm not there yet but it's yeah. still like it creates such a better relationship and i wonder if you like this was all to ask like does that resentment ring true with you at all oh you nailed it in in the way you explained it and um yes again going going back to this this scene in my life of sitting on the side of my bed saying i initiate with everybody who is initiating with me and then when i don't initiate for a little bit with somebody because i've taken a step back because i feel like they don't initiate the next time we talk it's where you been man you know, that's what they ask me. And yeah. it's like, where have I been? Where have you been? Um, Bitch, your phone works too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I've had a, I've had to work through that resentment, but here, uh, can you tell how excited I am? I'm just gonna, I feel like I've hit my flow. I feel like the first 10 minutes I was like, eh, a little bit of cringe here, but I'm hitting my flow. Now where this all leads to in my mind, it's like, well, who am I angry at? Yeah. Who am I actually angry at? And if I, if I really have humility and self-evaluate, I'm more angry at myself because I have not said how I feel. Hence, I am scared to die without telling people exactly how I feel. Um, So so it's, you know, I was recently a guest lecturer or a guest panelist at at the University of Detroit, and someone asked, like, what's an unforeseen thing or that you couldn't foresee about being in practice and that there was a few other people there and it was like well that i have to take care of myself self-care and another one was a phd uh candidate and they were saying you know just how um painstakingly the process is to get my thesis and my risk i was like i better come with something good i was the last one but but it really is the truth i never realized how many people i would be working with that were dealing with self-hate because I'm a big believer and there's a part of us that feels very resentful, angry, fragile, sensitive, inadequate, unworthy, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dear listener, he pointed to the uh, to, to one of the, the tri-level wheels that we all love in, in counseling. How are we so feeling today? Feels. Yeah, and then so out of that person or out of that uh, version of us is born another one. I think I said this the last day of class because I usually end class with this, you know, at any of the classes I teach. Another part of us is born to protect that person, and they are coping. So they're people-pleasing, they're isolating, they're cutting themselves, they're going to yoga, they're going to therapy, they're exercising, they're drinking, they're smoking, whatever. Okay, And then over time, these two parts of ourselves end up hating each other. Because it's like, well, why can't I just say how I feel? Why can't I get out of bed? Why do I always isolate? Why... Don't I stand up for myself? Why do I have to drink to feel good? You know, and, and so it's like so many of us, right, are hurting. We're trying to protect ourselves in, in some way. And then we get angry or we don't get it. We, we hate ourselves for doing that. But here's what I tell people. What's there to be ashamed about? I mean, if, if my little theory holds any sort of merit or truth, it's like, haven't you only been trying to protect yourself? Isn't that all you've been trying to do? Is there better ways to cope than, than you know, taking a razor to your arm or leg to cut? That, I talk about that as I work with a lot of, like, 16 to 25, and that's a very common cope, yeah. right? The so age group I do not want to work. Yeah. So I think for the first time in some of these young people's lives, it, it's like, hey, you don't have to hate yourself yeah. for this. I see you're in pain. And I'm going to help you work through that. And I'm going to ask, hopefully, a bunch of really good questions. I have a bunch of really good uh 
for reflections. So you feel like when that moment hits, I don't have to do that to my body anymore. But there's nothing to be ashamed of that that's what you're doing because you're just saying, I'm in pain, I need to protect. It was no different than me people pleasing every single person in my life. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I think you hit on what for me was one of the like biggest but most simplest realizations in therapy. And I think for a lot of people is probably similar, which is like we're all we all come up with different methods of of protecting ourselves, right, at some point in our lives. And then we get to a point where that's no longer serving us. And recognizing that yeah. and being like, oh, it was oh, and like I struggle to say it was okay then, because like some shit is really terrible like no it's not okay that you like hit somebody or something but yeah you did that because otherwise like what was the alternative yeah you, there was no alternative in your mind yeah and but then recognizing like oh, i don't need that anymore right and then you can start moving forward from there that's such a simple but huge realization uh <laughs> whenever i talk about this stuff i like think about at least half a dozen people in my mind they're like yeah. god i wish they would go <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, you're right though. It, it hits a point where it's not serving us anymore. And my whole thing is you have to, it's hard to love things we don't understand. Yeah. And that is one of the tallest tasks in life. And the things that we don't understand scare us and lead to all sorts of fear and hate and anger. And we do that to ourselves. So once we say, this is who I'm, this is how I've gotten here. This is how I've coped. And once they get to this, I don't have to be ashamed of that. And I don't have to be nasty to myself because being nasty to myself isn't people that are hurting do not need punishment and they don't need a finger pointed at them and they don't need someone saying, why can't you get out of bed? And that's what they do, right? Once you come to terms with that, or, or some people call it peace, some people call it, I just call it understanding. Um, then you can start to rebuild that relationship and say, what would it look like if these two parts of yourself were talking lovingly and compassionately? In other words, what do you want to do? What, what, what do you want to do now? Now that you've understand yourself and you can love yourself more, what is it that you want to do and how do you want to treat yourself going forward? Yeah. The, I, uh, it, it reminds, I mean, every theory has a different name for this, I feel like, but when you call something out, uh, and this is great for addicts too, uh, a behavior, a rationalization, whatever that looks like, or a cognitive distortion, or mm -hmm. whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is, it's so hard to not like recognize it and call it out every time it happens after that. Cause then yeah. you're, oh, now you're aware of this thing that just happened in the background your entire however long life, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, you said that the last couple of years that changed for you two, four years ago. Yeah. As far as how I was coping with, yeah. yeah. And, and, my my relationship with people pleasing will always be one I'll have to monitor yeah. and evaluate. But uh, I I just try to be kinder to myself in in the smallest of ways, hoping that it leads to something really big. So it's something I'm always working on, and I've also realized I don't always have to say yes to people. I'm allowed to say no. I don't have to feel bad about that. Um, so. I have found um, many things to be very therapeutic. I've worked with a therapist myself. I write. I uh, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah. Trust me, I need it. Shoot. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I find all. Uh, I find I find a bunch of little things to really add up to something good. Taking care of myself. But coming out of this winter, right? It's May twelfth today. Like some of those tendencies tend to come back that that inner critic starts to come back and me you know why can't you just do this so but like you said you nailed it once you're aware of it 
you can yeah. catch it, you can train yourself and really shrink that window of whatever it is that's you're battling. So. Or you just get even better at rationalizing. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the yeah. alternative. Uh, dropped a pen cap somewhere. Anyway, uh, how are you, how's this conversation for you? Because you've done a lot of episodes. I'm sure you've had therapists on, and I've seen you light up I've a couple times. I've had therapists on to discuss specific topics. Gotcha. Um, what, a, what a therapist question. I know. I know. <laughs> it's a part of me now. Um, no, I, I light up when I can relate to something, because I think any time that we have a, a narrative about ourselves that we hear in someone else, there's a level of... Uh, you're not alone. I don't mean that sound as dramatic as it did, but, but cause we, I think everybody, hopefully, I don't know. I used to say, doesn't everybody blah, blah, blah. And then my therapist would be like, no, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I think we all have an identity in a, in a personal narrative we tell about ourselves. And some people are probably more conscious of it than others. But when we see that in other people, sometimes it's, you don't even notice it, but it's that connection that brings you guys together. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it's like, oh, someone else feels the same way I do. That's crazy. Let's explore. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I always light up that stuff. Uh, I just last week talked to this guy that he has an older brother. We grew up at the same time, like like the same toys, like same TV show and like stuff like that, uh, that are like these core bases of my childhood like yeah let's talk never mind you let's talk about mask and like gi joe for the next two hours um so yeah i'm loving it you like it but yeah, yeah. that's enough redirection from you let's continue along fair, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh you graduate do you go to college right away yeah yep and that was the expectation in i was the gonna say a couple dentists i imagine yeah <laughs> yeah and i i didn't go into um into that i i went into education and pretended that I knew that that's what I wanted to do and um right because we're obsessed with knowing so I got my degree in education and I taught for um four school years and learned a ton about myself and um what grades did you I taught teach? middle school sixth seventh oh, and eighth Jesus grade Christ. yeah yeah <laughs> voluntarily you know pe- people say that it's the best right because you can be sarcastic they're not oh, setting their man. ways too much yet but yes my classroom after a day and there was no air conditioning my classroom would definitely smell like a, a cooked foot and there and there was a lot of attitude um that is going a, around those rooms that but, is yeah. a specific scent yeah um, Michael Scott yeah. and then uh so, so I did that for four years and then my dad has had, um, some mental health battles and, you know, when I was, again, promised myself I'd be an open book. So when I was 19 and 20, my dad was going through these bouts of manic episodes and okay. my dad is a very smart, reasonable, uh, successful guy in, in so many ways and he's lovely and here he was struggling with this. And that just, for some reason, put a spark, like, how could this happen? Like, yeah. what is going on? When I became a teacher, I, I was teaching in an, um, on the south side of Flint. And it was just a very different area than I grew up in. And it really challenged a lot of my truths, a lot of my biases. I'll just, oh my gosh, I'm in this, I'm in a totally different area. And it's only 40 miles away. Yeah. Um, and then seeing... Um, these lovely students and the thing, all the amazing things that they're good at. Um, 
it, it totally changed my life being a teacher, which is funny because had you been talking to me in that time of life, I would have said, I'm, you know, I'm, part of me is miserable and it's yeah. really hard and I'm making no money. Um, but yeah, and then, and then through my teaching years, I, I lost a couple of students um, and, you know, going to a young person's funeral, I think did something for me. Um, in sort of was that just violence or no no it wasn't violence so um one um passed of cancer and i and i'd actually i'd tutored them once or twice um but it was like it was kind of the first times like how could a young person how could something ha like this happen yeah. and then another one was through a car accident after i'd had her i had her in eighth grade and but i remember um I remember just feeling there's more I need to help on some sort of other level and n not even those passings, but you know, the, I had students that were moving three times in a year. Um, they didn't know quite where their next meal might come from. And it was just very different. And I felt so limited, you know, my job was to teach math, you know? Yeah. And I started to realize how much I loved the little conversations after class, like what's going on, man, tell me what's going on. And they were very def closed and defensive and, and, um, right, you know, probably rightfully so. Um, and I said, there's something more out there and I wasn't totally happy out, you know, in my teaching career. I loved the teaching part of it. Everything else will be a story for another episode, but, um, applied to grad school and was in grad grad school pretty quickly after I applied. And, um, what, yeah. I, what did the losing students do to like the death anxiety? Cause I imagine that's like. Yeah. You're seeing some worst case scenarios happen in front of you. I would say it exacerbated. And like, I, I, it took it from like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die someday to like, yeah, I'm going to die. And that sucks, you know? And, and it, and it just, it didn't give me any peace, but it would like affirmed it. And, um, so yeah, it, it exacerbated it. And that death anxiety sh would shoot through me in random times. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've been to a few funerals for young people, um, and those those are different. <laughs> those are different kind of funerals. Yeah, I can't imagine the tone of, <laughs> or just seeing a young body, you know, a seventeen year old body in a coffin. Yeah, um, I have issues with open casket. <laughs> yeah, it's hor yeah horrifying. It's also yeah. the first time I felt so helpless because I remember when I taught eighth grade English, I'd have the kids write time capsule papers, and I would give them to back to them their senior year when they graduate and she oh. didn't she didn't make this this student didn't make it to graduation so i remember finding hers and i remember hers was like very of a negative mindset and like i hate school i was like because i was going to give it to her parents yeah. at the funeral and um i, I don't think I, I think i decided not to because it wasn't the right time so i think i still have it but i remember giving the mother a hug i'd met the mother once in a parent teacher conference and I said, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, you're typical. And she said something like, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm doing okay. And, and it was like this, I really noticed this incongruence, maybe for the first time so in the front of my mind, like this person's not okay, but they're saying okay. And it, honestly, something between that, watching my dad go through things, like some, I was like, I have to do something. Yeah. And um, I thought, well, what could I do? It started as like being a psychologist and then maybe a social worker. And then I was like, I found the clinical mental health master said, yep, this is it. I want to be a clinician. Did you talk to people. initially want to do what you're doing now or was school counselor the first? Cause uh, you'd already, I'm just, cause you already had that. Yeah. In school. school counselor made sense. So I think when I first started, I was like, you know, um, leaning towards po a possibility in that. And then very quickly I learned, I wanted to sit in a room and I've, I've become addicted to the gravity of what we do. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, so, so yeah, that that was that was a pretty easy pick for me once I got to grad school. But that's kind of my educational, okay. my educational journey. Let's was, shift yeah. the lens completely. Sure. Tell me about meeting your wife. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I. I, I hope I don't start uh, welling up here because I, I truly have an amazing person in my wife. Um, yeah, so I met Katie. Uh, we were both writing tutors at Oakland University in the writing That's center. That's adorable. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and this is going to sound so corny, but I loved her instantly. Was it a meet cute? Was she correcting your grammar? <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly. Um, no, it was a bunch of me trying to really make her laugh and using probably some of those people-pleasing skills. See, yeah, can, yeah, that can yeah. be helpful. And, um, yeah, and she wanted to be platonic and didn't, you know, I was coming out of a long relationship and um, eventually, you know, my joke is is that I'm, I'm like a toe fungus. I start on the toe and I infect the whole body. And, and um she, she she agreed to go on some dates with me, and uh, shoot, that was in. We've been together over ten years now, all together, and we have a little two year old boy now. Yeah. And she has taught me talk about mental health and just well being and taking care of yourself. And she has just taught me so much about um, what it means to be strong and compassionate and tender and loving and um yeah she, she's a fighter too she's been through a lot and to, to see her fight and and to watch her become a mom and uh, and do some reparenting it's just there's no one more that's inspired that's great me on this planet yeah um i'm curious i mean obviously you don't have to talk about it if you yeah. know, but uh what was how long what was the relationship before that that you said you caught out of yeah 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 that was like a four-ish year relationship okay. that was right before high school ended I met somebody and um it was it, it was fantastic and I learned a lot in that I've come to I've come to realize that I don't think I believe in a waste of time I used to think maybe tra- <laughs> sitting in traffic but then you can practice your emotional regulation. But but yeah, um, dated her for about four years. Uh, lovely person, and um, she wanted in. If I, if I'm being totally honest, I think she wanted engagement and wedding, and and I could have proposed, and she would have said yes. And I remember my dad noticing, and this is kind of when he was going through some of his some of his mental health stuff. But he he noticed something that I wasn't happy. I can't exactly remember how if it was subtle or something I said, and he just said, you know, you have to do what you think is right and follow your instinct and follow your heart and we'll support you either way. So I, uh, that was really hard. I broke up with her and was, was, you know, talk about the ultimate test for a people pleaser. I mean, it crushed me and obliterated me. What's I wonder too, like just getting into that relationship. Um, like I've definitely dated people, because they showed an interest in me. <laughs> like, yeah. That was the main thing. Like, not that they were terrible people or like no, nothing bad about them, but, uh, you know, in a lineup, would I have picked that person to date? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But they thought I was great and that felt pretty good. That helps, right? <laughs> that helps. So, yeah, that's that's the only reason I, I wanted to dive in that a little bit. Yep. Um, so, I, you're a little more current. You're practicing therapist you're back at OU occasionally teaching yep um you see kids which 
I find appalling. So no, uh, I, I, I might've said this in your class, but like, I look at it as the same way I look at the military. Like I don't want to join the military, but I'm very thankful that those people are doing what they're doing. Um, I don't want to see kids. I'm very thankful that people that do are, are there same with like, you know, I have a lot of classmates that are classmates is a weird thing to refer to other 30 something graduate <laughs> students, but, um, uh, that are in like inpatient facilities for kids. Like that's their job. And I'm like, I don't even know how you leave that. And then like, what's for dinner? And like, watch the office. Like <laughs> what? Um, it's, it's wild. And I wonder like, what's been some of the, not to like turn it into a panel, but like, yeah. what are, what are, what's been some of the stuff that's really surprised you, uh, going into the field, like getting out of school and mm -hmm. actually seeing people and realizing like it all falls on you, the liability that like, uh, their perform not that falls on them. Let's be honest, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. Um, yep. what is that? What's that been like? Yeah. It's, well, two thoughts. I, 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 um, yeah, I run a business. I take every phone call. I schedule every appointment. I own every mistake. I am liable for, you know, or I have liability for everything. And, doing that work uh, has been far more rewarding than I've ever imagined it could be and far more challenging than I ever thought it would be. And it's totally changed my life ultimately for the better. Uh, you know, uh, to pivot back to kids really quick, working with kids wasn't necessarily my intention. When I, I had a, the most lovely internship and you met my supervisors, she came in for a panel at our class, Tanya Ratliff. Um, and... <laughs> So she has a very busy practice and she does a lot of grief work. Um, so full circle here. So some of her clients were saying, hey, I really want my 14-year-old to talk to someone about losing their mom or dad or their sibling. I really want my 16-year-old to talk about this. So all of a sudden I was inundated with um, kids that had lost a parent usually or a sibling um, because that's how I filled my caseload to fulfill those hours. And then word of mouth just spread like wildfire because so many parents have a hard time finding a therapist that'll work with a minor. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and Sorry. I, yeah. <laughs> and I typically, I typically don't um, see anyone under 10. Um, there's been a couple times that I have, but um, some surprises about kids. So resilient kids are very, and so right. We learn from a young age to protect ourselves and right. Cause we're, we're all coping with something and, and, but kids aren't necessarily aware of that. I don't think right. so. Like a kid can have a lot going on and their central nervous system can be operating at a 15 out of 10, which for a lot of us would be crippling yeah. and or probably all, just about all of us. And they're, you know, walking yeah. down the hallway and, um, yeah. it's like, Whoa, it, it's been really special work though, because the relationship's so important and, um, with a kid and you do kind of have to be a little bit more their friend, because they don't care that you went to school for it or how much you know, yeah. you know. Um, but once they find that someone will listen and, and someone will hear them, and don't all of us feel misunderstood? And talk about a 14-year-old. So I, I ask, um, you know, they don't know this, but I ask just about all of them, you know, on session three, it's like, uh, do you feel like people get you? Like, do they understand you? And they're no, that, you know, Does anybody answer yes. To that <laughs> no, it's Come a loaded, on. it's a loaded question. I, I become a mentalist at that point with my hand on my temple and reading Does, someone's mind. When you are in sessions with teenagers, mm -hmm. how often, especially like doing the work on yourself, do you see 
versions of you and some of their issues that you have to like really step away from mentally or like keep in check. Like how does that obviously counter transfer? Like, yeah. But yeah, how, yeah. What, given like what you've talked to me about, I imagine cause there's when I think of adolescence, like normal adolescent issues, there's a version of that in most people at some point. Yeah. So how does that work when that comes up? It's impossible not to see myself in a lot of these kids. So I end up probably being a little bit more direct with my younger clients and like, you know, do you ever feel like you just always have to give, 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 you know, and you don't get anything back. Let's say, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I relate. Uh, I see a lot of myself in a lot of my young clients and, and some I don't. Um, but yeah, that, that can be tricky to be like, how, how direct should I be here? And, and how much should I be keeping my own stuff in check? Um, but I, I'm really good, you know, the teaching again, going back to my teaching experience, that gave me a great window into building relationships with kids that age. And, um, and knowing that if you don't have a positive relationship there, uh, you're done for, you're doomed, especially in counseling. And I will say this, I mean, isn't it true that if we have, as, as a kid, I mean, we can all think back to, um, well, maybe we all can't, but one really, really positive, loving, healthy relationship with an adult can go so far. So sometimes when I work with kids are a little bit more closed down. or My goal at that point becomes, let's give this kid a fantastic, loving, warm experience. And that way when they're 34 instead of 14, they can say, you know what, that, that really tall, big guy tried to help me and he was really nice, but yeah, that can go a long way in any yeah. of our lives to have that relationship when we were young. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to shift the lens again, please. So yeah. How long have you been out of school? I think I graduated in, um, 18, okay. I, you know, well, you were about to shift the lens. I was about to go back into my education, really, because I had a really unique grad school experience. Um, but I can talk about that later. What, like, well, what do you mean? By well, that? so, 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 when I left teaching, I felt a lot of shame because I felt like all my friends were moving into their first home or having their first kid, and I was moving back in with my parents, with my wife, and um, I said, "I'm going to do this as fast as I can," you know. Um, uh, to try to avoid these feelings of shame looking back. Um, and, and when I went to school, I was, um, very bent on getting a scholarship. So is what I did is after my first semester of grad school, I applied for a internship basically to the adult career counseling center by year two, two semesters into my program. I think I've talked with you about this a little bit. I was sitting in a room with clients that were hurting about something. Of course, it was career counseling. But, you know, it's like, well, what's bringing you back to the workforce? Well, I just went through a really horrible divorce. Yeah. yeah. Oh, let's talk <laughs> about that. So I had – so going it's into – It's just about the job. <laughs> going in – you're right. Um, just one part of it. But going into practicum, which for the li- – I guess the listeners is the basically the last thing you have to do before you graduate where you sit with clients in the public. Um, I had two years of counseling experience. Really rich, good – 15 to 20 hours a week of counseling experience. And then I had, uh, in my mind, the best internship in the school. And I was so grateful to get that and, and interview that and, yeah, and land that. So it was like, when I came out of school, I felt prepared. Yeah. And, um, kind of already just been doing it. 
Yeah, I, I really had. I, I felt like I had honed something. I mean, of course, there's always more to learn, but I'm like, I, I have the basics down. I wasn't scared to make phone calls or, or ask really hard questions. So that's why I um, I think a lot of classmates scratch their head when I'm like, I'm going into my own business. And, and some were very supportive. And it, I just felt really ready. Um, I just felt really, really ready to do that. And uh, so, so yeah, so you asked me when I graduated, I graduated, I think in 18, but like I've been sitting with people in a room um, since, since 16, I think. And uh, my, my year might be off, but um, I was just kind of like, I have literally sat in thousands and thousands of hours of counseling sessions at this point, which yeah. is so crazy to think about. Well, where I was going with that yeah, uh, is I feel like having that profession and I mean, doing therapy yourself, uh, which blows my mind that there's people in the program that have never sat in a therapy, like mm-hmm. don't get me started, but <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like would you become a doctor if you never got a physical before like what the fuck maybe um anyway having that perspective um i'm curious to know your answer to this question i've asked a lot of people the same question what's it like becoming a father yeah that's a fantastic question to become a father um gave me any sort of motivation that i would ever need um, it's funny when the baby was born, like when the baby was first, first born and went right on mom for the skin time, I was taking a picture and it was like, okay. And I, I there were so many feelings going on. Then I held the baby for the first time a few minutes after he was born. And like, I didn't quite feel that connection just yet. But when we got back to our postpartum room and it was quiet and we had Beatles lullaby music going on and I was rocking him while, while Katie was resting it was like, oh, oh my gosh, this is um, the best feeling in the world. Um, and there's nothing, I don't think there's anything more I could do that would be more purposeful or special. Yeah, so I love it. I love every side. I don't love every segment. That, that that's not fair. Parenting's <laughs> really, 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 really hard. But um, the, the end of it, you know, at the end of the day, I think most parents will tell you that even after a hard day or a hard week, they can smile once and yeah, it kind of has you. Do you have any anxieties about the future? Like two is obviously, right. but yeah. like 14 years from now. <laughs> Big, bigger the kid, bigger the problem. And I tell parents, you know, um, that I'm really happy I deal with teething and I deal with a poopy diaper and not my kid saying he doesn't want to live anymore. You know, so bigger the kid, bigger the problem. Um, and of doing the work that I do, I inevitably worry a lot about my kids' mental well-being and making sure they do want to be alive. And and um, and I, I I'm scared that I will be over counselory to my kid and not let him experience what he needs to experience. But we'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's a whole other thing. I worry about doing that with like family and friends and yeah like, i thought i could turn this off but i guess it's just how i think now it becomes it's become a part of me and yeah. i think as like some family and friends invite you to oh, yeah. you know, it's like, well, what do you think yeah you're yeah. a counselor right yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well i think i would be remiss if i didn't ask you uh as a practicing therapist yeah. people both looking to 
go into therapy, not as a career, but like mm-hmm. starting therapy for themselves. Or this is a fun one. People who have people in their lives that they want to go to therapy. Yeah. Uh, Which is common often. Well, and that's one thing with the studying men's behavior and stuff. That's actually one of the most useful inroads is either like bring your partner to couples counseling and then they might be inspired to do work on their own. Or uh, if you're like in therapy yourself, you can, and your partner's a man, masculine, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. uh, telling them, you know, like, hey, for this has worked for me. Maybe you could try Like, so I think there are ways to do that because I think, you know, with – addicts or anything else the answer is typically like they want to have they have to want to do something unless it's like court ordered yeah um so i know that's the answer but Mm -hmm. what's the answer yeah as far as how how do we get people so you want me to address um what would i say to someone that's maybe thinking about therapy to go like to sell it yeah and then as as also like what can people do about other people in their lives that they yeah wish would yeah yeah, it's a it is a tough one, right? Like the, the the silly or the stupidest joke in the field is like, how many psychotherapists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to want to change or something like that. Um, yeah, I w- I would say this that I think a lot of people that come in resistant are pretty surprised at at what they're feeling um, after their first couple of sessions. You know, it's like, oh wow, I can talk to someone about something and not be judged and not be ridiculed and not be criticized. And for anyone that I notice is very resistant, I really turn on that, like, like that charm, I guess, of like, wow, that is so interesting. Tell me more about that, you know? And, um, you know, so like, oh, I work as a statistician. Really? So what does that entail? You know, so you get them talking about them. Those people-pleasing skills come in handy, right? Um, But, yeah, people that don't want to be there, the outcome usually isn't good. Um, As far as getting a family member in (laughs) – that is a really whole uh, demeanor dropped a little. <laughs> yeah, that is a really true because because I have seen the guy that says I'm only here because my wife wants me to be here. Yeah. I'm only and the success rate just isn't as high, and it usually lasts a few sessions and then it fizzles. There has been some success stories. I think though, you know, as far as like what my guidance would be to someone that's has a loved one that is struggling, um, would just be to approach it with love and kindness and sometimes strike when the iron's cold, right? It's never going to be like, you need to go to therapy. Um, to strike when the iron's cold and and to be vulnerable and to be very, very loving about that and come from this place of, you know, I feel so, I feel some sort of feeling really deep down when I when I watch what's going on here, when I, when I see you struggle and I... Um, I, I love you so much that I, you know, I, I just want to see you be happy and get help. But of course, you know, depending on the resistance, it's yeah. defensiveness and it's all that time. stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the you need to go to therapy does not work, or yeah. you're going to therapy. That's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm. Did you, is there anything I didn't talk about? You want to talk? No, I mean, I mean, for first of all, this basement is. I've looked around a little bit more because I've been talking to myself <laughs> and just lo- loving what I see. Um, Lots of stuff. No, I mean, I hope I've answered your question. Sometimes I can yeah. go way off, but I like I like to pride myself on the ability to steer. Should I should I need to? <laughs> you did good. I, I would just say be being the therapist on your podcast. 
just for, for anyone listening, um, this is so cliche, like if you need help, but is what I'll say is you, you do not have to hate yourself anymore and you don't have to be ashamed of things anymore. Um, and there's people that, um, that care about you and love you and, and they might not be doing or showing that in the way that you need. Um, but if you've been, you know, sometimes Justin, I'll say, how long have you been thinking of coming to therapy? You know, when I, on a first session, it's like, well, 10 years, I've been thinking about this for a decade and it's, it's never too late, but I just, to watch someone hate themselves is not a fun thing. So if anyone's listening that is hating themselves, you don't have to, because you're just trying to protect yourself and what's so wrong with that. No, I, I really appreciate it. And I appreciate yeah. you coming here and, and doing this. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I look forward to many more conversations offline. Yeah, so never happen again. No, <laughs> uh, just because uh, you have gone through the program and and you have a similar mindset. So like there's definitely a level of role model there that uh, like I know when I graduate and I'm like figuring out what the business aspect of this, I mean, like, Josh, you should call. How'd you fuck this up? (laughs) Let me know so I can fuck it up that way too. Yeah. You should call. Well, thank you for having me on and thanks for doing what you do. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right. You just listened to my interview with Josh Jostock. Wasn't that so good? Um, you know, I think, I don't know if it's common interest or just my brain and personality evolving, but I felt like I could have sat there another five hours uh, and we wouldn't have run out of topics or gotten bored or anything like that. Um, but just, you know, having people like-minded, similar interests and just talk for ever and it's it's so fascinating and he's doing a lot of really great work and i think there's a lot of great work to do in this field it's why i'm getting into it and i i hope you guys got even a fraction of what i got out of that conversation and i think it'll be wonderful for all of you um as we're winding down season four summer series is around the corner that starts first week of june only a few interviews left uh, this season. And then season five starts in the fall. And I'm starting to think if that's going to be the last season. Um, more to come on that, I guess. <laughs> it's a ways away. I'm just thinking out loud. But I, I love having you guys here. And I appreciate all of the feedback and the listens and the high fives. And, you know, a friend reached out to me and had a question about our previous guest, Brett, episode 136. And if you don't know, all you can do is uh, you can go right on to patreon.com slash friendrequestpod and sign up there and you can shoot me questions for previous guests and I will uh, do my best to get you an answer and it's all done there on the Patreon. A lot of fun. All right. So check that out. And... I guess that's it. I'll talk to you guys next week. I love you so much. This weekend is Comic-Con in Detroit. Let's get nerdy. All right. (laughs) I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.